how are you doing today, church? Amazing? Good. That's great. And when I ask how you're doing in that context, most people understand this is not the appropriate forum and place from your chair to be like, well, you know, my my little toe's been aching and and my dog's been sick and has been puking all over the carpet. And it's like, it's the short answer time. Like there's times for the long answer, there's times for the short answer to the question of how you're doing. But it's always nice when someone like stops you and grabs a hold of your shoulder, shoulder and they're like, no, really, how are you doing? And when someone grabs a hold and just hits pause in your life because we're all so busy getting to the next thing, getting to the next place, getting to the next task, that we often feel like no one even sees how I am. And when we begin to feel like no one sees how we're doing, then we feel further and further disconnected, further and further isolated, and further and further just by ourselves in this struggle. And so... For me today to just begin to talk into like the question of how are we doing, we're getting into this new series that is just very simply titled Emotions. And as soon as I say that, there's so many guys that we didn't move at all, but we're just like, oh, emotions. Like this is for the women. This isn't for me. Mother's Day is only supposed to be one week. Don't make it a month long, Paul. And I want to tell you men, emotions And having them and feeling them is a healthy thing, all right? And as we look at the life of Jesus, we see him displaying strong emotions in many different circumstances, and he is our model for life. And as we get into the topic of some of the emotions we're going to look at today and the, the, the section of scripture we're going to study, there was this little 10-second video that came across my newsfeed. And if you scroll too much, you've probably seen it too. But I wanted to play it to just begin to get our mind moving in the right direction. If you could go and play that video for me. P. No. No. K. K. O. O. Pinocchio. Have you ever felt that way when you're trying to teach somebody something and it's like, here's this piece, okay, you've got it. Here's this piece, okay, you've got it. Here's this piece, okay, you've got it. Put them all together, no, you don't got it. (laughs) But with a kid, it's okay and you're just like, okay, you're cute, so that makes up for all the things that you can't do yet, all right? I mean, there's this thing about a child that we have this incredible love for that even when they don't perform to the things that they probably could do, it doesn't affect the way that we feel about them. Even if we're trying to teach them something, we just understand, okay, we're not, we're not there yet because the parents' love is strong. And that's why we're going to make a big deal of Mother's Day, right? Because we understand how important mothers are. And so we're going to honor them in our households, right, men? Amen. Amen. All right, take care of those ladies because they take care of you the other 364 days of the year. And so we want to we pay them back. As we get into this, this, um, this series Psychologists kind of identify six core emotions and 26 breakdowns of each of those six core emotions, which is interesting that they limit it to 26 because a a pastor who was studying the interactions that Jesus had with people, he actually came out and detailed 39 different places throughout the Gospels where Jesus had interactions with people and displayed distinctively different emotions and reactions to places that that dictated that it was a different emotion. And so we see these different times that that Jesus' heart was in it in a way that it was expressed through emotions. I want to just rest on that for a minute because when Jesus was fully present with people and they were feeling things regarding issues and problems that Jesus was just about to fix, 
things that they were brokenhearted about. Jesus would still feel and express his feelings in that moment with them. And so it is healthy to feel things, men. Men. We understand, okay, the women might have 26 emotions, but we have two. And it, it's hungry. And it, it, you can talk about the other one later. I'm not allowed to say that from here. Like we have a limitation that we placed on men. But I want to tell you, one of the signs of having limited emotional range is actually a sign of areas that we've calloused off on our life because of pain. Because we're told, well, you can't, you can't express that. You can't feel that because you need to stand up and be a man. And we've been taught to be this calloused, shallow man who has a very limited range of emotions based on the past pain that we've had in our life. And I want to just begin to call you up that as we see specifically that, that Jesus himself, walking through life, expressing these feelings. If he is the, the number one example of the way to live our life in godliness and in relationship, then we need to look at him and say, when is the last time that I felt like that about anything, men? We, we, we need to stand up and be all that God has designed us to be. And before we get into the Gospel of Luke, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start turning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter, chapter 7. I want to give you a little bit of context because the context leading up to the passage we're going to actually study, it's part of a contrast that's happening within this chapter. Jesus was traveling with a large crowd and a centurion, a, a a military leader who is over, I know that it's centurion, but it's actually about 80 men. They would have about 80 men under their charge. He was a man of influence when this centurion, he would have almost acted as a judge in his community as well. People would bring problems before him and he'd decide. He, he was over political matters wherever he was stationed, not only just his soldiers. He was, he was like a ruler. And so he had people who were under his authority. And one of the people under his authority had been sick and gotten ill. And he cared so much about this servant that he had that he sent word to Jesus saying, would you do something? Would you heal him? Would you spare his life? And Jesus got word and he said, yes, I'll come. And as Jesus was coming, the centurion sent someone to him to say, I am not worthy of having you set foot in my household. I'm a man under authority and I understand the authority that you have, that if you just say the word, Jesus, he will be healed. And Jesus said, I have not found faith like that in almost all of Israel. And Jesus spoke the word and as the servants got back, they got back to the house and they found that he was healed just about that time that Jesus said the word. And then this crowd, this crowd that was following Jesus continued on with him to this village called Nain where we're going to pick it up. So first of all, someone who was not a child of Abraham, someone who was not from Hebrew descent, had this incredible faith that said, Jesus, if you would just say the word, I know that you have authority over all of these things. And Jesus said the word and he was healed. And then we come up to the, the, this next circumstance in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, starting at verse 11. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16 today. And it says, Soon after, afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd. They praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us, and God visited his people today. 
I want to start with the first section of this where we see soon afterward Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain and a large crowd followed him and a funeral procession was coming out. You have to begin to just picture there are two crowds that are moving towards each other. Like this is not like some sort of mob showdown, but I mean, it's just, there, there's this cross section point. And there's this incredible contrast that's happening within it that we have a village worth of people with a mother who is mourning the death of her son, feeling like everything is over now. My, my life, my future, my hope, it's right there in that coffin. And then on the other side, we have this crowd that just saw Jesus perform a miracle. Or at least they heard him perform a miracle and they've heard reports that it happened and they're coming in from a different perspective and, and there's just this beautiful contrast. There's a son that is dead and passed away and then there's the son of God who is walking and will soon die to conquer death. And as they intersect into each other to understand the tensions that the mother was feeling, all of the emotions and thoughts that were going through her mind. The son was the one who would would inherit everything that was the father's. The son was the one who would provide for her because she couldn't work a normal job like we think that women can today. They they were not given that opportunity. In fact, if someone brought an accusation against her or said that she made a business deal, that she was giving all the inheritance to him, she couldn't even testify in court. It wouldn't be accepted in that day. The man's word would just win out. It was unjust. And so she was entering into a stage of life where everything would have felt uncertain, all on top of the fact that she was a widow, she had lost her husband, and her son had probably passed in about the last 24 hours. There was no embalming that would happen. They would wrap him up. And I know the text says a coffin to put it into our our English standards, but it would have been more like a platform, either on wheels that they were rolling him or like a board that they were carrying him out. And the young man would just be wrapped in grave clothes. And to just, we don't even like to go there of the weight that she would have felt in this circumstance. All of her hope was lying there on that coffin. All of her hope was lying there on that board. And then when the Lord saw her, it's just interesting, first of all, that it, it identifies the fact that the Lord saw her. I mean, it feels like that should be obvious if he's talking with her, but there's actually 40 times within the, the Gospels where it states that Jesus was around someone and it tells us exactly who his gaze was affixed on because there is just something about understanding where the attention is. Even in our own present day, we still use the term like, I feel seen. Like, like if someone begins to, to verbalize or listen to us in a way where we feel like someone else finally understands how we're feeling, it's so validating that we have this phrase that, that is around in our culture today that I feel seen because they listen to what I had to say. They understand how I was feeling. And just that moment where someone else recognizes what's happening in your life, it begins to unravel the feeling of isolation and loneliness where you understand someone else at least understands where I am at in this. And the intent of this passage is to, you know, one, record what Jesus did, but it's being recorded because it wants to communicate to you the heart and the passion of God. That when God was in flesh walking among us, when he saw a mother who was mourning the loss of her son, his heart moved. But actually, if I'm going to say it more culturally 
accurately to the time. It wasn't that, it, it says his heart moved because it's, it's modernizing it for us. It actually is like his intestines, his gut was moved is how it's written in this time. They didn't talk about their heart beating for someone. They would actually talk about their, their loin or their, their guts moving for someone. The, the, the way that when you see something happen and it feels like your stomach gets moved into knots, like, like when, you, when you first see that person you're really in love with and like your, your stomach goes into knots. Or, or you see someone fall and like land face, for, for, face first on the diving board and your stomach goes into knots. Like, like that, that huge physical reaction that you have to seeing something, that's what it's saying in here of how Jesus felt when he saw her. It says his heart overflowed with compassion. And this is a great starting point, by the way, for hurting people, that if your heart is moved with compassion, just helping them understand that you see where they're at right now, it means so much to them. And I, you know, just to say something about our church, that if you're looking at one of the most simple ways to make a difference to people as they're coming into church, being part of the greeting team, I know it intimidates some of you introverts because you're like, I hate walking through the dance line because I can't just sneak through. Like someone's going to talk to me, someone's going to see me. But I've been told time and time again from people who come to our church, they say, I came in and I immediately felt like it mattered that I was here. And when someone is questioning the existence of God and the truth of the gospel, and if God actually wants to do anything in their life, one of the first tests that they're going to they're gonna put down is, will people actually love me in any sort of way when I come to church? And one of the most simple, superficial ways that we can get started on loving people is that when you see someone that you don't know here yet, you go and say hello to them. You have my permission, even, you know, like, but they might be an introvert and they might hate that. It doesn't matter. There's part of them that loves that people just even tried. They might block you out, but I'm going to tell you, if we want people to know this love that God has for them, we have to be willing to just even break the ice and move into this area of saying, hey, I see that you're here today and that's awesome. Beginning to show people that, that God loves them through very simple steps is a great start because if our heart is moved towards the people, we have to communicate that. And his heart overflowed, Jesus' heart for her overflowed with compassion. Whenever our heart is really moved for something, it really moves towards action, doesn't it? Like if you, we say that we want things like, I want to get in shape, I just want to get in shape without having to sweat at a gym. Well, how much do you really want to get into shape? Like, like I, I want to financially do better, but I don't want to actually save money and I don't actually want to stop spending. Well, how much do you actually want to get into a better financial, financial situation? Like there's a truth that when we want something, it leads us towards action. And as his heart was moved towards her, it moved him, moved him towards action. And this is a truth about God. That his heart is moved towards you and his heart has taken action. And he has, from the time that Jesus walked this earth, Jesus lived the sinless life to pay for your sins because he so loves you. He died on the cross because he so loved you. He defeated death in the grave because he so loves you. God has been moving towards you for years. And in your life, he has put up signs 
And he has put up reminders that he is there, that he is present, that he has a desire for you. And as a pastor, I want you to feel known. I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel challenged here. And so part of that challenge, when we think about your life, and especially if you feel like you've been distant from God for a while and you want to begin to get it right, one of the first questions that I'd ask you that I'd challenge you on, if God's felt distant, if you've been like, I have not felt seen by God, I have not felt loved by God, one of my first questions How's your decision-making been? Because I'm going to tell you something about your heavenly father. He's been on the doorstep. He's been knocking. But we often make decisions that push him away and push him further away. You know, I'd compare it to, to, I want you to understand God's love for you, even if you've been making bad decisions. Like one of my daughters, when when we lived in Indiana, we were on a walk together. I was walking, she was on her little scooter. And man, all of my children are strong-willed because all of their parents are strong-willed. And that's just what we get and what we have. And we're going on this little walk and I see her on her little razor scooter and I see this pile of rocks up ahead of her. Uh, ahead of her. And I tell her because I know, I know and I've experienced, if you ride rollerblades or a razor scooter through rocks, it turns into a catapult. And so I'm like, hey, don't go through those rocks. And she looks at me And just like, like, you don't know what you're talking about. I am four and I know everything. And just kicks right into it. And as soon as that front wheel hit the very first rock, you know exactly what happened. Like that thing turned into a princess catapult and this pile of pink just went flying through the air. Now look, as her father, I did not look at that and say, serves you right. Hope it hurts on the landing. Hope you get some gravel in your cheek. Like that's not how I am and that's not how any good father is. There is no point at which where my child does not heed my warning that I'm like, I hope this really hurts for you. In fact, I, like, and thankfully she didn't really get hurt and her first words when she popped up was, well, well I learned something. <laughs> you couldn't learn it when I just told you? <laughs> You had to feel the pain to get it. That's how we are sometimes, but I want you to know how your heavenly father has been through the whole thing. When you're falling down because you haven't listened, his stomach is turning towards, like, I don't want to see you get hurt and I will help you up, but you need to learn to react to my voice and not just to the circumstances. God's heart is moved with compassion for you. He so loved you that he gave his son. And if decisions have been pushing God further and further away, if you have hesitations about coming back to God because you think he might be angry at you, he has been calling you home. He will meet you halfway. He will run to you and put his arms around you. He so loves you. And so if bad decisions have kept God away, know that God's calling you home. So I know there's bad decisions that make it feel like God's far, but there's also things that just happen. Like it's no one's fault that it happened. It was a diagnosis. It was family decisions that someone else made that affected you and it was painful and it made you put up guardrails and it made you keep God away and other people away, but it wasn't really your fault. That happens too. And specifically in this circumstance, it it wasn't the mom's fault that the son had passed away And, and God's heart was turned towards her. And he even knew, I'm going to heal this. Like, this is going to go away. But his heart was still stirred up. 
And I want to tell you, men, you might have the answer for the problem that's going on in your household, but it is okay. It is healthy for your heart to be stirred up in that situation. Catch up to your wives on feeling stuff. Wives, you can elbow your husbands right now. If my wife was close enough, she would elbow me. I'm preaching to me too right now, all right? I am not perfect on this. I am not even close to where I should be on this. But I understand that looking at Scripture, feeling the emotions we should feel is a sign of health. Being immune to them, being callous to them, is a sign that we've been hurt so bad that we've protected ourselves by putting up huge walls. That we've had dreams that died. We had a dream of having a close relationship like a father and a son, and we didn't get that growing up, so we've been closed off to our kids because we didn't have it and we don't know how to give it. But I'm going to tell you, if you begin to just step into the situation that God has called you to lead in your household, men, God is going to meet you at each step. Dreams about marriage, dreams about career, that it's like we've just calloused off because we feel like that could never be brought back to life. That's impossible. It's impossible for God to work in that area because I've experienced pain there before. So I'm going to protect myself from God on that. I want to tell you, God has been in the resurrection business for a long time. And the parts of your heart that you know should feel alive, that feel dead, he can bring those back if you'll let him put his hands on it. Just even that moment where Jesus walked up to the coffin in verse 14 and he touched it and the bearers stopped. Like that moment, it's so religiously significant because there's over 600 laws that the Pharisees had written on top of the laws that they said that had to be followed. And Jesus in reaching out and touching a child that was dead or something that had touched a dead child, he would have been considered ceremonially unclean. And the Pharisees in, in the crowd that day, they would have been like, well, he's not allowed in the temple. He's not, around, not allowed around the presence of God. He is the very presence of God. And in fact, as soon as he put hands on that child, that child was breathing again. And that crowd gasped, and the boy gasped, and it blew people's mind. I love that it includes the fact that it sent fear through the crowd. Because you know if you were there that day, if you were weeping with them that day, if you're saying, why did this have to happen that day? And all of a sudden, that boy starts moving in the grave clothes when you know that he was dead just 12 hours ago? It would set fear off in your heart. It's incredible what Jesus did because all of the religious lines of that community he had painted, he crossed right through them to care for people. And I want to tell you, there, what's true then is often true now. There, there's nothing new under the sun. We haven't invented new ways to sin. We have just copied the old ways of the past and called them new. There's nothing new under the sun. And within the church, the problems that the synagogues had in that day and the way that they treated people, we begin to do them the same way within our current context. That we exclude people based on the sin that bothers us the most in this generation, but we will ignore other sins that really don't bother us that much. And we will push people out drawing lines that are not scriptural lines. And we see that Jesus cuts right through that. And I want to encourage you, when it, comes to, towards, when it comes to moving towards someone with the love of God, when it, comes with share, when it comes to sharing the truth and the love of God with someone who's, who is written in the image of God all across their life, I don't care what culture says about you should or shouldn't talk to that person. 
If you have accepted any cultural implications of, well, their skin is different than me, or, or their origin is different than me, or their beliefs are different than me right now, you should be willing to cross those lines with the love of God in an, in an honest way of saying, I want to show you that God loves you whether you agree with me or not. Whether people would agree with me or not, there, there's, there would probably be people within our church that might get angry with you if you started spending time with this person. And I want to tell you, you're probably walking in the ways of Jesus, and sometimes religious people need to get upset. Because whatever line it is, whatever cultural normality it, normality it is, it should not be something that holds back the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God is in the business of bringing people all the way from the dead back to life. And so no one is ever too far gone for God to work in their life. Amen? Amen. I'm going to start getting after y'all if y'all don't start talking back to me here in a minute. All right? We will go into bonus time if I need to, just to get you guys warmed up. Um, in verse 15, how... This is just so beautiful. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. There's something within that right there that Jesus gave him back to his mother. That it just, like, it, it shakes the heart for me. Because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to restore what was stolen. Everything that death tried to take, Jesus came to restore. And whether on earth or in heaven, he is in the business of restoration. Taking things that are hurting and creating healing in places that we thought were impossible. Bandit, if you guys will make your way up, I'll actually start wrapping this thing up. As Jesus gave her back, gave him back to the mother, I'm sure that she was overwhelmed. I'm sure that she didn't even understand how to process what was happening. And as verse 16 says, great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people today. It's really interesting. And if you're new to church, I want to clarify some of these churchy terms that are in here right now. Because it, they call Jesus a prophet. And a prophet was a person that God spoke to and he gave them a message. And at times, to deliver that message, God would enable prophets to do miracles and miraculous things. And prophets sometimes would follow God and sometimes they would run from God. Sometimes it would be a prophet for their life. Sometimes it would be an anointing that was on them for a while and then God would take it back from them. Prophets were men and they, they were fallen men. And, and their ministry was a season. But I want to tell you that to look at what Jesus has done here and to look at his life and to look at his teaching and to arrive at the conclusion that Jesus was a prophet is to miss the point it's to miss his teachings and it's to misunderstand the person and the nature of who Jesus is. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word dwelt, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word made its dwelling among us. And that Word that it's talking about was Jesus Christ, that He and the Father are one. And to arrive at the conclusion that Jesus was a prophet, I want to tell you, we look at these miracles and we're like, if only I was there. My faith would be so much stronger if only I was there. God has given you something better than getting to just witness a miracle. He's given you the full message of the gospel, that Jesus defeated death and the grave. That he rose to give you new life, to, to, to make you a new creation, to remove your sins as far as the east is 
from the West. He's given you something better, but you need to understand that Jesus is not just a prophet. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Lord. And it's not that God just visited them today, that day. They had Emmanuel amongst them, God with us. And the promise that we have from Jesus is that he will not leave us or forsake us. We don't just have Jesus walking through our town one day. We have Jesus walking with us the rest of our life when our faith is placed in his name. And all of the things that we want to see, the emotional things that we know that should be fixed in our life, the dreams and the callings that we want to see happen in our life, all of those things are products, I believe, of seeing them be where they should be. All of those are products of getting this one foundational thing right. That when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, scripture says you will be saved. It puts you into a relationship with him when you have an authentic personal faith in him. And it begins this work of restoring emotions and reconfirming dreams and callings. But you need to understand who Jesus is to you. Some will look at him and respond with fear because of his power. Some will look at him and say, he's a prophet, God did something through him. Some will look and say, you know, God was with him that day and, and then on again. But you need to understand that Jesus before anything was, he spoke it into creation. And he so loved you that he came to this earth and suffered and died to give you a right relationship with God. And so as much as I wanna see emotional health in your life, I wanna tell you the foundation for all of that starts with your personal faith. And if you have not yet made a decision to follow Christ, make that choice today. Today is the day of salvation. And as you take that first step, he will meet you right there. Let's pray together. Father, if our failures or other people's pain that they brought into our life has kept you at a distance, give us the trust and the faith to just go ahead and step back to you because we know that your scripture teaches time and time again that your heart is moved for us that you are a good father who meets us out in the middle of the road when we're finally returning home. We know that that's your heart, but it's sometimes hard to accept. And so just open up our heart and open up our faith to receive what you want to give to us. We, we confess with our mouth that Jesus, you, that you are Lord, and we believe in our heart that you were raised from the dead to give us new life because we see your power at work in, your, in our lives and your church today. So Father, continue to that work right now. Would you restore that foundation that we build our life upon? We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.